First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. I want to thank the choir. Now that we have a full choir back. Uh, last Wednesday night was the first time they didn't meet in here, all separated out there, but back in the choir room, and they have a full choir this morning. Don't you appreciate our choir and the ministry that they do? So. <clears throat> I thank uh, Scott for the opportunity to preach this morning. He told me the subject, ready to die. And I guess he chose me because I was the oldest one and closest to death. I don't know, but uh, anyway. Uh, you know, talk about an adventure. Uh, an adventure, if you're in a dinner conversation and you bring up the subject of death and dying, that'll go over big, you know. And uh, you might ask those at the table, says, uh, well, how, how do you want to be buried? In a casket or do you want to be cremated? That'll, that'd be a good conversation starter, wouldn't it? Or you might say, how do you uh, think you're going to die? Old age, sleeping in a bed at age 90. Or, or, or do you think that you're going to be burned to death or in a car wreck or have cancer or drown? You know, I'm sure that would be a great conversation starter, you know. Well, Paul had started talking about death back in chapter 20 last week when he was with the Ephesian elders. If you remember in uh, verses 22 through 24, he says, And see, now I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, Paul uh, leaves those pastors at Ephesus uh, in Miletus on the Mediterranean seashore, uh, praying together and weeping that they might never see him again. And then we come to chapter 20 as he continues his journey toward Jerusalem. And we read these words, and, and uh, if you have your Bibles, hope you do, okay, as our pastor says, in chapter 21, verse 1, it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailed to Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. And when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. And they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemaeus, greeted the brethren, stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet and said, thus says the Holy Spirit. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. 
And then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we see, saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and stayed with them a certain Manson of Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this portion of your word as we look at Paul's life and the adventure of serving you and following you and being obedient to you uh, that led him to Jerusalem and uh, almost certain imprisonment. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, your spirit would help us to unpack this passage and that the truth might be made known to us so clearly. And uh, Lord, as we face our own death, help us to have that assurance, that confidence as Paul, that we are ready to die because of our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. After a few coastal stops in what is today Turkey on this journey, this ship journey to, to uh, Jerusalem, uh, they board a ship uh, that goes straight to Tyre or Phoenicia, uh, a journey of about 400 miles. They come to Tyre, and uh, while the ship is unloading its cargo and then reloading, there's a space of about seven days where they stay with the disciples at Tyre. And then they go on down to a city called, uh, or while they're in Tyre, the, some of the disciples through the Spirit warn Paul about what awaits him in Jerusalem. They go down to Ptolemaeus and then down to Caesarea, where they'll spend a few days in the home of Philip, formerly known as Philip the Deacon. He was one of those seven that uh, were chosen by the early church in Acts 6 to serve, wait on tables, and minister to the widows. And, uh, and while he was there, there was a prophet named Agabus who showed up from Jerusalem. And Agabus took uh, the belt, which was probably a sash, a long piece of cloth, and he put them around his hands and around his feet. And he says, said through the Holy Spirit, so shall this man who owns this uh, sash, who owns this belt, be taken by the Jews and then delivered to the Gentiles. Now, immediately the, the people in Philip's house and the companions of Paul who had been traveling with him begin to cry and weep and say, Paul, don't go, don't go. Uh, you know, it's not safe. And uh, Paul's response in verse 13, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And uh, most of us here today who are Christians could say with Paul, you know, I'm ready to die. I know where I'm going. I'm, I'm going to heaven. But you might also add a postscript, but I'm not ready to go on the next load. You know, uh, you know, wait, I wait a little while, you know, Lord, I want a few more years here on earth. But uh, Paul talks about this uh, confidence that he's ready to die, I think, because he'd already faced death. He'd already gone through several kinds of death. And I want to share four different deaths that I believe all of us need to experience in our life before we're ready to say, I'm ready to die and go to heaven. And the first death is the death to sin. And uh, this is represented by two of the places that Paul went, uh, uh, Tyre and, and also Philip's house. You see, before Paul became a Christian, he was known as Saul. And we read about him in Acts 7, that he was present at the stoning of Stephen. The very fact that people put their clothes at the feet of Saul was an indicator that he was the instigator, the leader of this uh, stoning. 
And then right after that, the Bible says that he led in an intense persecution against the early church. He, uh, so much that uh, most of the thousands of new believers in Jerusalem were forced out of Jerusalem, except the, the uh, apostles, and they went everywhere preaching and sharing the good news. And uh, in chapter 11, we find that as these went out, some of these unnamed disciples went to Phoenicia, where Tyre was. And so as Paul stopped for that seven-day trip in uh, Tyre, he was with believers that had started the church there because of his very own intense persecution. Now, what, what, what would that have been like to go to church with a guy that uh, had been instrumental in you coming to know Christ because of persecution? And same thing about Philip, when he came to Philip's house. How must Philip have felt to know that, that Paul had been the one who had chased the early deacons out of uh, Jerusalem and had killed his com, uh, com, compadre, uh, Stephen, and that uh, because of that, he had to leave. And when he left, you remember he went to Samaria, caused a, a revival there in Samaria, and then had uh, an encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch and led him to Christ, and then eventually ended up in Caesarea. So the very fact that he was in Tyre and with Philip was a reminder of what his life was like before Christ. In fact, he tells about that in, in uh, 1 Timothy, um, 1 Timothy chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And Paul was, uh, was, uh, had encountered the Lord Jesus Christ on the, on the road to Damascus. You remember, uh, had this blinding light, a voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, you know, his response, who are you, Jesus? Uh, and he meets him as the Lord of his life, realizes that Jesus is alive and everything changes for, for Saul. Even his name is changed to Paul. And uh, he becomes a new man in Christ and uh, old things were passed away, all things become new. And uh, he, he uh, literally, his sin no longer masters his life and uh, he, he died with Christ and he had risen with Christ. And the good news for us, when we became believers in Christ, we died to sin and we arose with Christ and we don't have to sin. We say, wait a minute, Brother Larry, I do sin. <laughs> I do have struggles with sin. And the truth is we have a sin nature that stays with us even after we become believers and we struggle with that sin nature. And thank goodness we have a mediator. We have a, a, a savior who stands on our behalf that we can call on who, uh, who has forgiven our sins and who brings us into the presence of a holy God. And, uh, and yet uh, we are reminded that we did die with Christ and we don't have to sin. And Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter six, which I believe is, is, is the most uh, complete and, and perfect picture of what happened to us and this sin nature. You know, Paul has just recently talked about that in chapter five when he says that, uh, uh, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. 
And there were some who took that to mean that if that's true, well, let's go out and sin a whole bunch so we can see God's grace abound. And Paul starts out chapter six saying, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And then he uses baptism as a picture of this death. He said, do you not know as many as us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He goes on to say, for if we have been united in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. His conclusion in verse 11 is this. He says, I likewise you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word reckon is a bookkeeping word, and it means count it to be so. I mean, uh, just, just uh, believe it. It's true. You have died to sin. Uh, it is finished. You know, you are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Now, the tragedy is that we don't always reckon it to be so. Uh, we don't believe it. We don't act like we believe it. But we have died to sin, and therefore we are to live alive to Christ through the power of the resurrection Lord. So say it with me. I am dead to sin. sin. Say it like you mean it. And we need to live each day with that reminder. I am dead to sin, but I'm alive to Christ. But there was a second death Paul had, and that is a death to self, death to self. Paul probably had heard the other disciples share the message of Jesus Christ when he said in Luke 9, 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny what himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Deny himself. He said, and what I believe is one of his life verses in Galatians 2, 20, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just as the sin nature was still with Paul, also the self nature is something we have to battle all the days of our life. In fact, Paul says in Romans 7 that uh, comparing self to flesh, he says, I know that in the flesh no good thing dwells. And he says, oftentimes I find myself not doing the things I should be doing and doing the things I should not be doing. You know, I don't understand this, this battle that's going on. Hey, do you, do you know that battle? Have you faced that battle? This means yes, this means no. Yeah, we all do. You know, I have and you have this self battle. And uh, I live with this every day of my life. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor, a Lutheran pastor, <clears throat> during the time of Hitler, one of those that opposed him and uh, even uh, worked with a group that tried to get rid of him, assassinate him, but their plot was discovered. He was put in prison and died just a few days before the allies came and liberated the prisoners. But uh, in his most famous book, uh, The Cost of Discipleship, he makes this statement, as we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give our lives to death. 
Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And here's the most famous line of his book. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. Die to self. And, uh, you know, it, it is a self-problem that I have and you face every day of our life. Uh, we can't get a- away from it. Uh, we, we, we think about self from the time we get up to the time we go to bed at night. Uh, I was very much impacted by Henry Blackaby back in the 1980s when he came out with his book, Experiencing God. How many of you are acquainted with that book? Many of you have taken that course, I believe. And uh, in that book, he, uh, he makes a statement, you need to have your life radically oriented to God. The most difficult thing you will ever have to do is to deny self. Take up the will of God and follow after Him. The most difficult part of your relationship to God is being God-centered. If you were to record a whole day in your life, you might find that your prayers, your attitudes, your thoughts, everything about that day is radically self-centered. I I thought about that, and, uh, you know, I just thought about yesterday. When I got up, the first thing I like to do in the morning is to eat an orange. It makes me feel good, okay? And then I go on a bike ride, usually 12 miles every day. Yesterday I went on an 18-mile ride, and I like to say that for self. You know, this old man can ride a bike for 12 miles or 18 miles. You know, I'm very self-centered, even in, in sharing that with people. And then I, I came home, and I was real thirsty, and I said something about uh, liking to have a Polar Pop. That's a big 40-ounce drink, okay, of Diet Coke. Because, again, self, I like Diet Coke. You know, for us. And so Gail went and got me one. And then we had lunch, and I like Gail fixing me lunch. She does a good job about it. And then I took a nap because, old oh, men, we like to take naps uh, in the day. And, uh, and then I watched sports in the afternoon because uh, I like sports. And, uh, you know, I even thought about working on this message this week and uh, asked myself, is this truly for the glory of God and to be able to expound on the Word of God? And I had to admit there's some self-centeredness even in preaching. You know, standing before you, there's a, there's a little bit about uh, uh, just feeling good about myself when I do that. And I really want you to go away saying that old man still has it, you know, uh, <laughs> something like that. But we are self-centered, even in the good things we do. Now you think about your day, how it was, how your week was, and how much of our time is spent centered around ourselves. And don't look at me funny, you know, because all of us have this problem, this struggle uh, of self-centeredness. We need to deal with it. And the question is, is Jesus Lord of all my day, my thoughts and actions, or is my focus on self the majority of time? And like I said, even doing something like preaching can be a self-centered thing. Even teaching a Sunday school class can be a self-centered thing. You know, going to the hospital, visiting others, a self-centered thing. Now, those are good things. But again, if self is the center of what we do, it's not right. And so we need to die to self. There's a third death that Paul went through, and that's a death to safety, a death to his personal safety. And by that, I don't mean that he died uh, to being careful or to being safety conscious, but rather a safety that uh, looks out for our personal comfort and ease. 
And I have to admit, you know, I like to be comfortable. I like to have things. I like to do things uh, that, that I can afford to do that maybe others cannot do. Uh, to be comfortable. We're, we're in an air-conditioned building this morning. I'm grateful for that. Amen? <laughs> I, I'm, especially in Florida. And, and I'm grateful for the comforts that we have in life and especially in our country. But when you observe the warnings that uh, Paul's friends gave him, you know, over and over again, he's being told, don't go, don't go to Jerusalem. You're going to face some trouble. And, and the Holy Spirit is the one that's telling these folks these things to Paul. And so you have to ask two questions. Is Paul or, or is the Holy Spirit lying to these people? Or are they lying that the Holy Spirit has told them these things? And the second question, is Paul being stubborn like so many of us, even when we're told over and over again to keep doing it? Well, in answer to the first question, no, I believe they were telling what the Holy Spirit had told them, but these were not uh, uh, prohibitions about going. They were simply predictions. They weren't warning him that he shouldn't go, but they were warning him about what would happen when he did go. And secondly, Paul was not being stubborn, but he had already died to his own safety about going to Jerusalem, knowing what he might face. Just like Jesus went to Jerusalem, even when he knew the cross awaited him there. And you see, Paul, we're told in chapter 20 that he, one of the reasons he went to Jerusalem, he wanted to be there to celebrate Pentecost. But there was another reason why Paul went to uh, Jerusalem or wanted to go. And that was because he was taking an offering that the saints in Macedonia and uh, in Caia, that's Corinth, and other churches had, had taken to help the Jews who had been really impoverished by a famine in the, in the area. And, and especially the Christians were hurt because the Jews didn't help them. And, and so he was taking this offering, and according to Warren Wiersbe, I like what he says, in going to Jerusalem, he took his life in his hand in order to solve the most pressing problem in the church, the growing division between the far-right legalistic Jews and the believing Gentiles. It was a serious situation, and Paul that he was, knew that he was part of the answer, and he was part of the problem. And uh, he could, he could not resolve the problem by remote control through representatives. He had to go to Jerusalem personally. And so he took his life in his own hands by going to Jerusalem to deliver this offering, uh, as he knew he should do to the Jews that were there. Now, do we have this problem with a death to safety today? Do we live with a, a desire for comfort and ease and, uh, and when, when Jesus and the Lord might be asking us to go somewhere that we might consider dangerous or unsafe uh, or uncomfortable according to our American standards, you know, uh, there, there are all kinds of things that God's asking us to do that, that would get us out of our comfort zone. And we have to consider this saying, have I died to safety? C.S. Lewis in the Tales of Narnia has Lucy asking the question about Aslan, the lion, who is a representative of Jesus. And he asked, she asks the question about Aslan, then he isn't safe? Uh, and the response is, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. <laughs> and he's the king. And you think about asking certain people, is, is it safe to follow Jesus? You know, I used to hear that statement, the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. No, it's not. 
It can be very unsafe. Ask Jesus. Was it safe to be in the will of God when he went to the cross? You know, ask 10 of the 12 disciples who died a martyr's death. Is it safe to follow Jesus? Ask Stephen, who was stoned, the first martyr. Is it safe to follow Jesus? Ask Paul. Paul, who was shipwrecked. Paul, who was put in prison time and time again. He was stoned. He was beaten, whipped. Paul, is it safe to be a follower of Jesus? Ask some of the missionaries like Jim Elliott, who died a young death, and other missionaries. Is it safe to follow Jesus? And the answer is no, it's not always safe. And yet it's the best place to be because he's the sovereign Lord and he knows what's best for us. Amen. He knows what's best for us and we can trust him along the way. The question for us is, do I want to be safe and comfortable or or am I willing to be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ? He may ask us to leave the comfort of Melbourne, our home, our people around us, our friends, to be part of a church plant somewhere else in the United States or around the world. He may ask you to risk ridicule or rejection by reaching out to a neighbor who's not a believer and to invite them to your home to share God's love. He's dealing with me on that right now because I've got a neighbor next door who is from Romania. And I've been to Romania to tell people about Jesus, but I haven't shared with him yet. And uh, I really am convicted. I need to tell him about Jesus. I have a neighbor across the road who's from Morocco and uh, to tell him about Jesus. I have shared with him once and and a neighbor on the other side who a man and woman who are living together that are not married and they need to know about Jesus. And and so, you know, there's a risk involved uh, in getting out of our comfort zone to reach out to people all around us. And uh, I encourage you to take the risk, die to safety in order to follow Jesus. So the death to sin, the death to self, the death to safety made Paul ready for the death, this fourth death, the one he's talking about, um, Satan's last enemy, death itself. Paul speaks about that in 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter. And after he's uh, raised several if statements, if Christ be not risen, He comes back and says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he has put an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet, and the last enemy that will be destroyed is what? Death is death. The writer of Hebrews says it so beautifully as he describes Jesus coming into the world as a man. He says in uh, chapter 2, verse 14, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so this fear of death that almost all of us have experienced at some time or another is something Jesus came to set us free. And so Paul could say, I'm ready to die. I don't have this fear because I have met the resurrected Lord. I know what he did. And later on, Paul would write, 
while he was in, uh, house, under house arrest in Rome, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. It's gain. It's better. You know, I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. I know it's necessary for me to stay, stay here for your sake, but I'd really rather go on and be with Jesus. <laughs> I tell you, sometimes when I look at the mess this world is in, I have that same desire. <laughs> I would rather go and be with Jesus, but I know there's some things that God has still for me to do. Or I would have gone already. And, and, and so we, we speak of this last enemy. I, I don't know how you think of death. When I was younger, I wondered about my death, when I would die and how I would die. And uh, one day I was reading and thinking about the sovereignty of God. And I came to the understanding that the number of my days are in the hands of God. He knows when I was born. He knows when I'll die. And uh, so I don't have to worry about that. He's in control. And, and, and the, the statement that came to my mind is, I will not die one second before God says it's my time. Amen. He's in control. Now, how it happens, I don't know, but he knows. And so we don't have to worry and fear about death. He's in control. Whether you reach your three score and 10, that's 70, for those of you who can't add or know what a score is, okay. Uh, or you live to be 100, or you die as a youth or a teenager, uh, it's in God's hands. Uh, Jim Elliott, once again, the missionary I spoke about, who himself was killed at a young age while doing missionary work among the uh, Wadi Indians in Ecuador, he said this, God is peopling heaven. Why should he limit himself to old people? <laughs> now think about that a minute. You know, we think it's a, it's a real uh, unusual and, and disastrous thing when a young person dies or a young adult dies. But God is peopling heaven with all kinds of people. And he's in charge. He knows what's best. And we can trust him in that. Eusebius was a church patriarch in the, the fourth century. And uh, there was a Roman emperor at that time named Valens who was uh, persecuting the Christians and he wanted to get to Eusebius. And so he uh, sent him uh, some, uh, some lavish gifts. And uh, his response was, Sir, your gifts may trap children, but we are nourished by the Bible and we are ready to suffer rather than to allow the work of God to be altered. And the emperor was furious. He threatened to use torture and execute Eusebius. But again, Eusebius stood his ground telling the emperor, he need not fear confiscation, who has nothing to lose, nor banishment, to whom heaven is his only country, nor death, which can only set him free. <laughs> I like that. Death can only set us free. We don't have to worry about that. And Jesus reminded us in John 5, 24, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Right now, if you're a believer in Christ, you've already passed from death into life. And uh, nobody, listen, nobody is ready to face death until you meet Jesus Christ. You know, um, you, you've heard the expression, born, born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> if you're only born physically, you will die a physical death and you will die an eternal death separated from God. But if you're born once physically and born again spiritually in Christ, you will only die one time. 
That's good news for us because Jesus promised his children, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself that where you are, where I am, you may be also. Praise God, we have a heaven waiting for us if we know Jesus. Uh, we shall see him, as the choir said, face to face. Amen. What a day that will be when we meet Jesus in that day. And I know that uh, that's the desire of your heart today. And I'm going to tell you, the way to have that assurance is to die to sin, die to self, die to safety, and die to death, Satan's last enemy, that is death itself. And that can happen if you put your faith and trust in him. To be born again, Jesus said we have to be like little children, trusting in faith in Jesus alone. We come in faith, we turn from our sin and repentance, and we put our faith and trust in him. Maybe there's someone here today, you say, I, I don't have that confidence to say I'm ready to die. I know there's some things in my life I need to, to take care of. Let me tell you, you can't take care of them, but Jesus can. <laughs> if you come to him in simple childlike faith, asking his forgiveness, he will forgive you. He will cleanse you. He will adopt you into his family and give you that assurance of eternal life. And in a moment, we'll have an invitation where you'll have an opportunity to do that. I'll be standing here in the front. And uh, we invite you to come publicly. You say, in front of all these people? Yeah. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who's in heaven. If you deny me before men by doing nothing, I'll deny you before my Father's in heaven. So come this morning to Jesus and know that certainty that you are ready to die because you've met Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your precious word. And thank you so much for this confident assertion by Paul that he was ready to die because he had died to self and to sin and safety. But especially he had met the resurrected Lord and that made all the difference in his eternal salvation. I pray if there's someone here today that has never put their faith and trust in Christ, that they would step out and, uh, and I'll come forward and just say, I, I, I want to say, I need Jesus. I know I'm a sinner. I want forgiveness. I want that assurance in my heart that when I die, I'll go to heaven. And Lord, that they might come in repentance and faith and trusting Jesus. And Lord, thanking you that change can happen in each life that does. Thank you so much for this invitation time. I pray that your spirit would have freedom to work and move in our lives. We pray this all in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. 